0: listening to audio from Faith Church, located on the north side of Indianapolis. If you'd like to check out more information about our church and ministry, please visit faithchurchindy.com. Scripture this morning is from Matthew chapter 11, verses 25 through 30. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father. Yes, please stand. all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Yesterday morning, I had one of those weird and rare experiences. My alarm went off at 6 a.m., And my eyes popped open, and I thought, I feel great. It never happens on a Saturday morning, especially when the alarm goes off at 6 a.m., right? It's like, who wants to get up that early? But there was a men's thing here that I wanted to come help set up for. And uh, so I woke up feeling like rested and rejuvenated and, and excited and like charged up for the day. It probably helped that I fell asleep at 8.30 the night before. But uh, so I woke up feeling great. And over the course of the morning, I did what I usually do. I, I pulled out my phone and, and I went to the app that connects to my watch that I wear to download the sleep data, see how well I, I had slept you know, hold it up on the phone, and it comes up with the results, and I have to say, uh, the data were disappointing. It said, of my eight hours and 58 minutes of sleep, only 54 of those minutes had been deep sleep, and less than two hours was REM sleep, which is way below my normal amount of REM sleep for the night, and it said my body battery only recharged 30% overnight, and I looked at this data and thought, you know, I do feel kind of (laughs) tired and lethargic and like moody and grumpy, and I'm going to need to squeeze in a nap later in the day to, to make it work. You know, there is a, a new word that has just been coined in the last couple of years for people like me. Not that word. Uh, a different word for people like me who, who suffer from this malady of wanting so desperately to get good sleep that you don't get good sleep. And it's driven by sleep tracker data, like all this stuff that your watch or your phone or whatever can tell you about how you sleep. It's called orthosomnia, or, or you know, I'm an orthosomniac, which means I so desperately want to get good sleep that when my sleep tracker data says I'm not getting good sleep, I get anxious about not getting good sleep, and then I end up not getting very good sleep. You see how that works? It's like a it's like a vicious cycle of the harder you focus and the more you try to get good sleep, the less good sleep you get. Now, orthosomnia is a new word for a new condition about physical rest because we have all this sleep tracker data. But the the concept or the idea of focusing so much and so hard on rest in order to feel rested but actually short-circuiting the rest is an ancient problem. It's one that everybody who's ever thought about the human condition has wrestled with. Why is it that we so desperately want rest, and I don't mean physical rest, but like soul level rest, why is it we want it so badly, but everything we do to try to find that rest just makes us restless? It's just, it seems to be just part of the, the human condition, we've tried all sorts of different things throughout the ages, or even in the last week shopping, but that doesn't seem to do it quite as much as it used to. I used to get super excited when a box came from Amazon, and now that there's like a couple every day, it just doesn't have the same effect anymore, you know? Okay, maybe that says something more about my shopping habits, but But for you, maybe it's something more like just going all in on your job. You put everything into how hard you work, or you obsess about your grades, or the school that you're trying to get into, your family health, or your friendships, or your culinary experiences, or your intimate experiences, or your competitive victories, or your physical health, or your mental health. It seems to be part of the universal human condition. We're all restless because we spend so much time and energy and effort on trying to find rest. Which is why a passage like this one, Matthew eleven twenty five 25 through 30 that we just heard read, a passage like this one has endured in the imagination and in the hearts of Christians for generations, for centuries, because what Jesus offers us in this passage seems to strike so deeply at the core of human need. It's his famous invitation to come to him and find rest, not like, you know, rest for a good night's sleep. Uh, like, oh, I slept poorly. Jesus, help me. It's, this, is a, this is like the soul-level rest, the existential rest that he offers. And in this passage, just reading these verses that he has for us, we're going to discover, but this is the kind of rest that you can't get to on your own. It's, it's the rest that you can only receive from someone else. So let's jump into Matthew 11 there's so much in these verses, 25 through 30, we don't have time to dig into all of it. So I'm going to pick up in verse 28 at the beginning of Jesus' famous invitation to come to him and find rest. Matthew 11:28. 28, Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to me. He says. Now, you'll notice right away he qualifies the invitation. He doesn't say, come to me, all of you. He says, come to me, all of you who are weary or who are labor and are heavy laden. The translation we're reading out of here says, who labor and are heavy laden. Other translations say weary and burdened or something along those lines. These translations are trying to get at the idea that as a people, as human beings, we all feel Feel this sense of being both burdened by things outside of ourselves, burdened by things that we ourselves have done, and also weary with the effort of working underneath all of those burdens. See, there's, there's both an active and a passive side to being weary and heavy laden. The passive side of it is the sense of being burdened, of having all this stuff put on you that you maybe didn't ask for, uh, or maybe stuff that you brought on yourself, but it's the idea of weight from outside of you just kind of slowly crushing you down, like that little pickup truck you always see on the freeway where the back uh, the bed of it is like full of stuff and it's all ratchet strapped down and everything and and the suspension is compressed all the way to nothing and the tailgate is like dragging on the ground that's the imagery here of feeling heavily burdened or heavily laden it's like you're you just crushed excuse me you're crushed underneath uh, some burden that's outside of you but there's also the, the active side of the weariness, that even though you're burdened down like this little pickup truck, you're still going to drive until you run out of gas without ever stopping to refuel, refuel or stopping to rest. You're just going too hard, too long, and the burden itself is making it, I mean, it's really killing your gas mileage, right? It's making it harder and harder for you to do this, get the same distance with the same amount of work. It takes more and more work. I I think if we're honest with ourselves and with one another, we kind of see ourselves somewhere in that description, right? That that little truck is like a metaphor for life, heavy-laden and burning through all of our fuel faster than we ever thought we would. So it's to that group of people, those who recognize themselves as being weary and burdened or heavy-laden, that that Jesus gives this invitation, come to me. He says, hey, if you're wearing yourself out through excessive or exhaustive work, or if you're feeling overloaded or overburdened, if you're exhausted from a a life uh, that feels feels Sisyphean in, in its pointless repetition of get up, eat, go to work, come home, eat, sleep, get up, do the same thing the next day. He says, if, if this is how you're feeling, come to me. Come to me, all who are weary from labor and borne down by heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. He's inviting us to come to him, to find rest in him, because the alternative to finding rest in him is not anything that any of us, when we're soberly thinking about it, would would really want. It's either we find rest in Jesus, or the other options are things like anger, guilt, or irrational optimism. Anger, because the circumstances from outside of you or the burdens that other people have put on you and their expectations or whatever they have for you, is crushing you down. And the only way you know how to respond to it as you're trying to meet all of these unrealistic demands is simply to get angry, which never brings rest. So you can come find rest in Jesus, or you can get angry, or you can feel guilty. The guilt comes when you know that the burdens you're carrying are your own fault, Right, that when you were younger, you thought about what your life would look like at the age you are now, and you realize the life you're living now looks nothing like what you thought you would be when you were younger, except every, I mean, you got here by every decision that you made, you yourself. You're like, the only person I have to blame for feeling restless is myself, because I'm the one who chose this. Or I'm the one who caused it by the bad decisions I made. I mean, you can either find rest in Jesus or you can get angry or you can feel guilty or if you're on the younger end of the spectrum, you can give into to a rational optimism. If I just work a little bit harder for a little bit longer, I'll finally be in that place where I can rest. You know how this goes, right? If I, if I just get, I just need one more raise. If I can just take this job and leverage it into that job, that'll let me leverage it into that job and then I'll be able to rest, right? If I, if I can just hit this grade or if I can just get into that school or if I can just make these sales numbers or if I can just finally make partner or get through my residency or finally you know, land another client, whatever it is, if I can just get there, then I can rest, Jesus is saying, look, you've got a choice here. You can either come to him for that soul-level rest that we all long for, or the other options are guilt, anger, or irrational optimism. None of those have worked in the long term. So he says, hey, if you're feeling weary, like you're working too hard, that you're heavy laden, that you're burdened under all of this, he says, come to me and I will give you rest. Not come to me and you can earn rest from me. Come to me for a different set of expectations and requirements and then you can earn the rest. He says, come to me and I will give you rest. Jesus is telling us that, hey, if we want rest, if we want true, like soul level, existential rest, there's only one place we can find it, which is in him. Now you may be thinking at this point, that sounds great. How do you do that? Well, he goes on in verse 29 and 30, because verse 28 doesn't stand all on its own, just with, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. If it stood just like that, we'd be like, oh, that's, that's not enough. So he goes on in verse 21 to say, here's how we do this. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Now, you may, when you hear the word yoke, uh, immediately think of the way other scriptural authors use the idea of a, of a yoke, as in like two, uh, two camels or two oxen or two cattle or two horses or whatever being sort of strapped together somehow with some wooden implement or some other tool uh, so that together they can pull a heavy load. That's not the kind of yoke that Jesus is talking about here. He's not talking about being yoked to him in that sense that, you, you know, you and Jesus are shoulder to shoulder going through life together. He's talking more about the, what we would call a shoulder yoke, which is like if you, could, if you ever remember like, as a kid helping your dad with chores or something like that or just trying to carry heavy things. You, know, you pick up like two heavy things. You try to get them about the same weight in both arms so that you're balanced and you kind of pick it up and then carry it wherever you are. And it puts a lot of strain on your shoulders and your arms. A shoulder yoke is like a wooden pole basically that goes across your shoulders with hooks for you to hang those buckets So that the burden you have to carry is more evenly distributed across your whole body. It makes the burden easier to carry than it would be without it. What Jesus is saying here is like, look, there is a way to carry the burdens of your life that is easier than the way you're just sort of naturally going at it, brute forcing your way through it. He says, I've got a yoke, I've got a way of living that you can learn. You can take it from me, learn it from me. And you'll find that it, it takes your burden and makes it into rest, that you're able to bear this burden more easily, do this work uh, more easily than you otherwise would be able to. A couple of months ago, our, our family finally bought in and got a membership to the YMCA. And uh, it's expensive enough compared to like a Planet Fitness membership where you feel guilty if you don't use it. Um, unlike the other one, which is like 10 bucks a month. So whatever, you never go. But with the Y1, it's like, I need to use this. So uh, I've been taking my daughter swimming at least about once a week or so. And every time we go, there's the same older guy who's there, same night of the week, swimming laps. And he always comes over to us and he's like, I remember when I was teaching my daughter to swim. And I'm like, fun fact, she's teaching me because I never really learned. Like it, growing up, there was one pool in the little town I grew up in, and you had to have a, a golf club membership to get into it, or live more than ten miles away, in order to you know buy a two-dollar ticket to get in. It was one of those ways they just tried to force everybody to buy a golf membership. Anyway, I digress. So I I really didn't learn how to swim. I just learned how to get in the water and not die. And so uh, Anna is, is teaching me, and, and she has described my freestyle swimming style as something like what a dog would do if it tried a butterfly, (laughs) which I don't think is a compliment. So she's telling me things like, hey, keep your feet up. You need to breathe on the count of three. It's okay to put your face in the water, things like that, uh, to try to help me swim a little bit better. And the thing is, um, it works. All of her suggestions work because she's actually taken lessons, and, and I haven't. When I try to swim the way she tells me to swim, it's like all of a sudden it gets easier than whatever you would call whatever it is I'm doing to try to get from one side of the pool to the other. See, at Jesus' time, to take up someone's yoke was to learn from them how to live their life so that you could do it easier than you were before. It's not like the way we go about learning something today, where we collect some books or sign up for a degree program or enroll in classes and have multiple teachers. In Jesus's day, to take up someone's yoke was to go to a teacher, a single person, and say, I want to learn from you. You'll be my teacher, my rabbi, my Master, my Lord, something along those lines. And you lived with that person, ate with that person, learned from them as you watched them live so that you could learn like how they think, how they act, how they talk, how they go through life. And as you learned it, eventually you got to the point where you could think and talk and act and go through life in a way that was almost indistinguishable from the rabbi, the master, It's almost as if you were living the life he would live if he were living your life. That's what it meant to take up someone else's yoke, to be a disciple of someone else. And it was through discipleship to that person that you learned a way of living that eased the burdens you carried, like how a yoke makes it easier on the body to move a heavy load See, so Jesus is inviting us, those of us who labor and are heavy laden, those of us who are weary and burdened. He's saying, Come to me, learn from me. I have a, a way of living that will lighten the load of, the, lighten the burden of restlessness that you are carrying through life. And he invites us to learn from him. The word, uh, the word learn there in verse 29, it's, it's, in the, uh, it's, a, it's a verb here, but when it's in its noun form, it's the word we translate disciple. So he's saying, come and be disciple to me, be my disciple, apprentice yourself to me, learn the craft of living from me. Jesus is inviting us, if you're, if you're weary and burdened, follow me. He says, take my yoke, learn from me, become my disciple. When you do, he says, I will give you rest. You will find rest that you're not going to find any other way. Now, at this point in our consideration of the passage, you, you might be wondering, uh, you might be torn between kind of two competing thoughts. Uh, on the one hand, the idea of finding rest is pretty appealing, uh, of to, to cease from all of our strivings. Sounds like a great invitation. On the other hand, the way to get there is to fully and completely give your sort of way of living over to someone else and to learn how to live rightly from someone else. There's not really anything more countercultural or counterintuitive in our culture right now than to say, in order to live rightly, you have to stop living the way that feels right to you and learn to live the right way from someone else who will tell you the right way to live. It's like, whoa, back up off my freedoms, all right? But Jesus is saying, look, if you're going to learn, or if you're gonna find this rest that I have to offer, you have to learn it from me. You're gonna have to submit yourself to me. And and as we consider that, offer that invitation, I think it's important we have to keep in mind. Even though no one likes to be told that the way to freedom is to limit yourself, or that the best and right way to live is to live the way someone else tells you to live, the sad fact of the matter is that we're all discipled to somebody, right? We're all apprenticed To somebody, because every one of us has uh, an image in our minds or a picture, some idea uh, of what success in life looks like. This is what it would look like for me to feel like I'm living a successful life life. And wherever you got that picture from, I mean, some of us get it from our parents uh, and the expectations that they put on us or the stories they tell us about what our life should look like. Some of us get it from sort of broader cultural goals. These are the things you should shoot for. This is what it means to be successful. Some of us get it from the sort of stereotypes uh, or, you know, common ways of expression. We're told, like, in our culture, this is how men act. This is how women behave. And so that's the picture of success. Some of, it, some of us get it from a, a broader cultural idea of like, this is what people like me should do and want and go after. Uh, the point is, we all have some picture of what a successful life looks like. And the variety of those pictures is as you know, varied as all of us here in the room are. But what they all have in common is that every one of these images or pictures or ideas of what the successful life or the good life looks like, every one of these ideas comes with some authority figure, some person saying, here's how you get there. Whether it's your parents and the stories they've told you, or it's a broader cultural definition, or it has to do with your health or your finances or your whatever, whatever it is that will make your life successful, there's some authority that's saying, do it like this, live it like this, make it happen like this, and you'll get there. See, we're all apprenticed, we're all discipled to somebody. We've all taken someone's yoke and are trying to learn from them. I know what you might be thinking. Even those of us who have said, I'm not living up to anyone's expectations but my own, still somehow manage to find ourselves in a community of people who have all said, I'm not living up to anyone's expectations but my own, and then we all affirm each other for only living up to our own expectations and not anyone else's. So Jesus is saying, look, everyone takes a yoke. Everyone's apprenticed to someone. But every authority, every whoever we go to that says, take my yoke and learn from me and you will find success to them jesus says no take my yoke learn from me and you will find rest see there's a big difference finding success is about finding the person who can get you to where you want to go right so if your your desire is to be like super buff or whatever then you're going to find the person that can get you there. You're going to go to a CrossFit box, or you're going to do a Pilates, or you're going to do an Orange Theory, you're going to do whatever. And as soon as that person is no longer able to get you where you want to go, you leave them behind to go find someone else that's going to take you where you want to go. Same thing if your goal is finances, or your goal is marital bliss, or your goal is strong friendships, or whatever. You'll follow someone's advice up to the point where it no longer gets you where you want to go, and then you go find a new authority. Jesus is saying, I'm not here to get you success. I'm here to get you rest, which is only in him. See, a lot of us, I think, come to Jesus looking for him to give us something else that we actually want more. I don't feel like I... I don't feel like I belong anywhere. I don't feel like anyone loves me. Jesus says he'll love me. Great. Now I have that feeling of love. Never mind everything else Jesus wants me to do or talks about, as long as I feel loved. Or I feel purposeless and Jesus gives me a reason for living. Or, or I feel uh, spiritual anxiety because I'm not sure that I've done enough to make God happy. Well, Jesus tells me, no, I've done it all. You don't have to do anything. And we come to him for the kind of psychological benefit we get out of it and ignore the call to discipleship, the call to learn from Jesus. Now, don't get me wrong. Jesus is where peace and belonging and love and joy come from. But if we shoot for that, we don't get it or him. Eventually, we have to come to the point where where we're in this relationship with Jesus because we want him, and everything else comes as, as a byproduct, as a secondary. Now, again, you may be thinking, like, okay, but can you really trust this guy to deliver on what he promises? Come to me, and I will give you rest, rest for your souls, well, he goes on to describe himself here in verses 28, 29, and 30 uh, in a way that, that Matthew alone captures from all of the gospel stories. And it's here in these verses, uh, unlike anywhere else in the gospel stories, where Jesus peels back the curtain and tells us about his own heart. Last year, the elders at this church all read together a really good book called Gentle and Lowly. The title comes from this passage. Uh, I highly recommend it if you haven't read it, but the the author there points out that this is the only place in Scripture where Jesus says, if you want to know what what I really am at my core, because in the Old and New Testament, the heart is like the center of a person, the core part of who you are. It's the the thing that motivates you. He says, if you want to know what I'm really like, I'm gentle and lowly in heart, gentle and lowly. The the author of that book writes, describing, trying to explain, what what does Jesus mean by gentle and lowly? Uh, He writes this, quote, meek, humble, gentle. Jesus is not trigger happy, not harsh or reactionary or easily exasperated. Jesus is the most understanding person in the universe. The posture most natural to him is not a pointed finger but open arms. He goes on to say, the point in saying that Jesus is lowly is to say that he is accessible to us. The word lowly is the word for somebody who has been brought down to our level or has come down to our level. He's accessible. For all his resplendent glory and dazzling holiness, for all of his supreme uniqueness and otherness, no one in human history has ever been more approachable than Jesus. says, if you want to know if you can trust this guy to give the rest that he promises, not to use us up, for his own satisfaction or for whatever reason. He says, well, look what he's like. He's gentle and lowly in heart. His yoke is easy or kind is another way to translate it. His yoke is kind and his burden is light. In other words, Jesus is not demanding or exacting or punishing or judging. He's not inviting us to come to him so that he can keep more demands on us, ridicule us when we fail, and then push us away. Which, of course, is what we're all afraid of happening. Saying, no, I'm saying, come to me. Jesus is saying we can come to him, take up his yoke, and find it to be the easiest yoke of all. The author of that book goes on to say, what helium does to a balloon, Jesus' yoke does to his followers. Jesus' way of bearing the burdens that we carry in life is a way of bearing that lifts us up instead of crushes us down. Because he's he's the only one who who, when we come to him, can give us rest. But he doesn't give us rest until the moment we stop working for it and instead ask him, So, how do we get this rest? If that sounds appealing to you at all, the natural question to go from there is, well, I would like some of that. How do I get some of that rest? How do we take up his yoke? And first, it's important to remember that there are two aspects to this idea of rest. Two ways we have to think about the rest that Jesus offers. If we confuse them, it gets discouraging and frustrating. There's the forever rest, the one day in eternity in the kingdom of God rest, and there's the the right now rest. Now, that forever rest, that eternity rest, is not a rest that Jesus gives to just anyone. Earlier in the passage, we see that God the Father has chosen not to reveal the significance of who Jesus is and what he's doing to just anyone, very specifically, it says in verse 25 that that God has chosen not to reveal; He's hidden these things from the wise and the understanding, the people who say, "I don't need any help figuring this stuff out. I don't need any help with this restlessness thing." But instead, He has revealed it in an act of grace. He's revealed who Jesus is to the people He describes as little children, little children. That's you know, people who know they're ignorant and need help and are totally dependent and completely trusting. It says, to the little children, I've chosen to reveal myself to them, he gives through Jesus the the promise of this forever rest. The forever rest is the eternal rest in the kingdom of God. When we live in that kingdom oriented wholly towards praising and pleasing God, not as something we have to do or forced to do, but because that's what we were made to do. That's the natural and good and right reason for which we were created. And as we praise him and please him, we're doing meaningful work in a loving, community that is untainted by sin and its effects. I mean, what a rest. That is the rest that is promised to come. That's the forever rest. But the right now rest is a rest that is slowly developed in us it comes as we anticipate that rest, the future one, and learn to live into it right now. See, you may have noticed as we read verses 28 and on, that it kind of intensifies as it goes. Jesus starts with, come to me and I will give you rest. But in the very next verse, he says, and take up my yoke and learn from me and you will find rest. Rest. See, there's an aspect of this where we both are given as a gift, this rest that we can look forward to and anticipate, and cooperate with Jesus now in learning to rest by taking up his yoke, being his disciple, being apprenticed to him, learning from him. So, as we think this morning, in the few minutes we have left, how we find this rest for ourselves, it really comes down to those two commands that Jesus gives us in this invitation. Come to me, he says, and take my yoke upon you, learn from me. That's our responsibility. The part that we contribute or work towards in order to more experience the rest that he has for us. So, Two basic commands, two basic questions. The first is, have you taken up Jesus' yoke? And I mentioned earlier, there's all these different reasons why some of us come to Jesus, but eventually we have to get to the point where we realize he is what we want. He's not the way to get what we want. And it's not until Jesus is what we want that we begin to experience the, the rest that he's promised for us. But the second question it's okay if you've come to him, if, you're, if you've taken his yoke upon you, are you learning from him, growing in him, fully trusting and fully dependent on him? Now, I don't mean just growing in him as one of the people in like a whole pantheon of people that are telling you how to live better, but I mean growing in him as the one you know, if you're like me, you've got your favorite authority for all these different areas like we've talked about. My, my finances, I'll listen to this person. My relationship issues, I'll listen to that person. Uh, my health, I'll listen to this person over here. Um, and if I have any time left for like the spiritual stuff, I'll, I'll listen to Jesus. Right, to take on a yoke, to be disciple to someone is to give the entirety of your life, all of these aspects to that one person, not divided among a shelf full of little authority figures who tell you how to live. So Jesus is saying, hey, if you're going to come to me and take up my yoke and learn from me, this is a whole life thing, an all-of-life thing. But when we do, and he gives us his yoke, his burden, the burden of learning to live wholly oriented towards God... We find it to be the kindest, the easiest, the lightest burden of all. So he invites us to come to him, give him everything. Just remember the extent to which you hold back what you give to Jesus is the extent to which you continue to experience restlessness right now. Because all of this life is learning to give Jesus more and more and experience his rest in every area of our lives. Now, let me wrap this up. A fascinating book came out last year. A husband and wife team, the philosophers, tackled uh, wrote this book to tackle the question of restlessness head on. The book uh, is appropriately named "Why We Are Restless," and it, it tackles this question of like, why are we so? Why is there so much malaise in our society? Why do we all seem like we're all? clamoring for something. And part of the, the, the way they trace the argument is that they say, hey, prior generations, and by prior generations, they mean people before the 1500s. This is how you know, philosophers talk. Prior generations uh, at least had an idea that a life well lived was lived somehow aligned with something transcendent. Uh, even if it wasn't aligned in living into the kingdom of God through Jesus Christ, though that was a big part for a lot of people, at least there was like, uh, you live the heroic life or the philosophical life or the religious life or the ascetic life. You lived some sort of life that contributed to something bigger than yourself. But they argue that, well, about since the 1500s, we've all more or less agreed that there isn't anything bigger out there and we have to find whatever happiness or solution to our restlessness we're going to find, we have to find it here in this world, in this life, which is a fool's errand. They, they go on to write, you can't just redefine happiness and rest to mean whatever you can get your hands on here. That does damage to the soul that is longing for something transcendent. And it doesn't help the way we Americans have done it, which is to say, uh, if you're not happy, uh, then there's something morally wrong with you. Because we all kind of generally tend to believe that, hey, it's your responsibility to be happy, and if you're not, it's because you're a bad person who makes bad decisions. But anyway, they go on to write that human beings, this is why it doesn't work to find our rest here in this world, human beings are not made to be satisfied by amusements, however varied, refined, and intelligent those amusements might be. They write, human beings are made for a serious, even anguished quest, The quest for a hidden God, who sometimes gives the gift of grace that alone can fill the living abyss of the restless human heart. The anguished quest for the hidden God. The hidden God, as they put it, who has been revealed in Jesus Christ. Look, it's right there in verse 27. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, And anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Jesus is saying, come to me. If you're weary, if you're overburdened, if you're working too hard, if you're clamoring for rest, if you feel fundamentally restless, he says, come to me. Through me, you can know the Father. And when you know the Father, you know rest. Rest. Is the rest we're all longing for. Come to me. Let's pray. Father, we long to come to you. We long to come to you in, in our, our sober moments when we're thinking clearly. We know we long to come to you, that we cannot find in ourselves the satisfactions that we long for, that we cannot engineer rest for ourselves any more than we can engineer sleep or happiness or satisfaction in any other way. Father, Draw us to yourself through the rest that your son promises, and may we, in finding him, find the rest we long for. We pray this in the name of the one who gave up his eternal rest for our restlessness. Jesus Christ, our Messiah, amen.